Well, if you would, take your Bibles this morning. We're going to be looking actually several places. The scriptures will be up on the screen, but you also have them there on your little outline on the, on the, one side, on the other side of the bulletin, so feel free to uh, check those out as well. Uh, this is Labor Day weekend, and thank you for being here on this holiday weekend. I was amazed as I drove around, uh, actually at the end of the day on Thursday and, uh, and all day on Friday, uh, how little traffic there was in different parts of town. It's, it's uh, remarkable. But um, um, uh, how many of you work? Yeah, okay, all right, okay. Well, I hope that you'll, you'll find this very practical this morning. Uh, I, I heard uh, a while back the story of, of a young man who had been out of college for about, about a year and uh, still didn't have a job. And uh, his dad finally told him one morning, he said, son, why don't you get a job? And the young man said, well, why should I do that? His dad said, well, so you can make money. Well, why should I do that? Just so you can put money in the bank, earn interest. Well, why should I do that? He said, well, so someday when you grow old, you'll have money to live on, and you won't have to work anymore. He said, I'm already not working. (laughs) Uh, Work uh, is a challenge. It's oftentimes a challenge. There was a... uh, I read the other day about a, a man who was fired at his job for illness and fatigue. They said his boss got sick and tired of him. <clears throat> Hang on. Another man resigned, just quit his job at Midas Muffler as a tailpipe inspector. They asked him, why? What's the deal? He said, I'm just totally exhausted. Well, not only is fatigue a problem in the workplace, but also boredom. I read the other day about a lady who, uh, who just ref- says she refused to drink any coffee at work because she didn't want to toss and turn at her desk. Does coffee not make anybody else toss and turn when you're asleep? Right? <laughs> well, uh, enough of the Labor Day levity, right? <laughs> What I want you to to know this morning is that regardless of your profession, regardless of whatever work it is that you do, I want you to know that your work matters to God. Your work matters to God. And I want you to leave here this morning encouraged about your work, and I hope even with a fresh vision for your work as well. Well, a fresh vision for work begins with the right mindset, the right mindset. You know, many Christians mistakenly approach all of life as with what might be what some people call a two-story view of life. A two-story view that that is I'm talking about like two like a building two stories in a building where, where the upper story is where all the sacred things happen in life. You know, things, things of a spiritual nature, going to church and Bible study, prayer, Bible reading, those kind of things, sharing Christ. Those, all, all those things happen in the upper story. The bottom story is the secular story. The bottom story is where things like, you know, sports or hobbies or, you know, entertainment, where even your work happens is in that secular bottom story. Well, 
that two-story view of life is not quite right, is it? <laughs> you know, what it says is that what you're doing really doesn't count, really doesn't matter to God, has no eternal significance to God until you leave your work and you go to do something that does have spiritual significance. In other words, if you were to live your life this next week on, on a, according to that two-story view of life, it means that when you return to work on Tuesday, you're going right back into that bottom story, back in, in, into that secular grind. But when, when you leave work at the end of the day on Tuesday and you go to your prayer group that night, then you're moving into the top story, the sacred story of life. Next morning is back to the bottom story, and that's all that secular stuff that's going on when you at work. Until Wednesday night comes, and then you go to your, your, your Bible study class at church, and you're back into that top story, into that sacred story, the story that really counts in God's eyes. Thursday morning, you know, maybe you continue in that sacred story by getting up and going to the early morning men's Bible study. But then after the Bible study, you go to work, and you're back once again in that bottom story, that, that secular story grind. Friday, you're still in that bottom secular story of work. But then Friday night, if you go to celebrate recovery, you move into that sacred story, that, that upper story, that top story. Maybe that you even continue to remain there when you get up Saturday morning and you go to help with a mission project, still in that top story, that sacred story. And then Saturday afternoon, you turn on the OU game, you turn on the OSU game, and you're back in that grind of the secular story, bottom story. Get up Sunday, you go to church, then you're back into the stop story again, the, top, the story that really matters, that for the part of life that really is significant to God. Friends, is that really correct? Is that view of life biblical? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. God, in God's eyes, from his perspective, all of life is sacred. Which means, regardless of how you might feel at the moment, that your work is sacred too. Your work. Your work has great, intrinsic, inherent value for several reasons. For one, God himself is a worker. We forget that sometimes. Psalm 111, verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. God is a worker. God is at work in creation. God is at work in his word. God is at work in people. God is a worker. God the Father is a worker. God the Son is a worker as well, right? John chapter 4 and verse 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his what? His work. God the Father is a worker. God the Son is a worker. God the Holy Spirit is also a worker. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit who gives them to each one just as he determines. All these are the work of the same Spirit. See, work is actually a part of God's very nature. 
It's a part of who he is. Which means, think about this, which means when you work, that makes you more like God than if you did not. You're more like him. A work not only has great intrinsic value, but it has great purpose. Great purpose. You see, God created us to be his co-workers. Genesis 1, chapter 20, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Then in Genesis 2 and verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to, Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. See, God put man to work. He put man to work. It was a part of his creation, part of the blessing of creation. And, and by the way, let me ask, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. Did that take place before the fall? That is, before Adam and Eve sinned or after the fall? It was before, absolutely right. You know, sometimes uh, people have the mistaken idea that work, the only, the only reason we work is, is, is a result of sin. It was part of the punishment, which is absolutely not the case. Something changed after they sinned about work. What was it? Their, their, context, <clears throat> their context changed, and, their con and the content of work changed. Verse, chapter 3, verse 23, so the Lord of Genesis, so the Lord banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. One of the consequences of their sin is that they were moved out of the garden. The context of work changed, and then the content changed. Last part of verse 17, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. That was another consequence of their sin. Work before the fall was hassle-free. Part of the consequences of sin is that work came along with hassles. Anybody ever have hassles at work? You can blame Adam and Eve for that, right? I'd like to think of Adam and Eve you know, somewhere along the way, you know, after all this has happened, kind of looking back and saying, Boy, you know, we never realized we had it so good, did we? God created us to be his co-workers, his co-workers. Uh, maybe you heard the old story of, of the farmer who um, found a, a great, what he could see was going to be a great plot of land. Uh, the only problem was is, is that it was overrun by weeds. Uh, the equipment, uh, the, I mean, this particular farm, the, the equipment was all falling apart, all rusted. The, the, the farmhouse itself was in complete shambles. And so he spent months, months and months cultivating the ground, and repairing and, 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 re, and, and replacing the equipment, and renovating the farmhouse. Well, he was standing out front one day when uh, his pastor came along and, and drove up, and, and uh, the pastor got out, and he started talking with the farmer, and he said, man, he said, you and God have done an, an amazing job with all of this. The farmer looked at him and wiped the sweat from his brow and said, yeah, and you should have seen it when God had it all to himself. <laughs> Our work is a partnership with God. In essence, we are in business together with God. The ancient saint and philosopher, theologian Augustine once wrote, he said, without God, 
We cannot. Without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. God will not. We are in partnership with him. Your work is an extension of God's work. And think about this. For instance, part of God's work, the Bible tells us, is, is to provide for the needs of his children. I, I can't think of any job, if it's legitimate and ethical, I can't think of any job that does not help contribute to providing for the needs of people. You are an extension of God's work. It, it, it has great purpose as you partner with him to help not only meet the needs of others, but also to what? To meet the needs of your very own family as well. Well, you get the picture. There is no such thing as sacred work and secular work. Your work matters to God. It has eternal significance. You're more like him when you work. Your work has great, great purpose. That's the mindset. That's the mindset. But a renewed vision for your work also requires the right motivation, does it not? Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. If your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. But if, your holy, if, but if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. Now what this verse is doing is identifying for us two different ways that a person can be motivated. The first way it talks about is that a person can choose to be driven or controlled by one's own, what does it say, sinful nature. That is self-driven motivation. A person who has self-driven motivation approaches their work with certain assumptions. First of all, their primary goal is to be successful, successful in the eyes of the world. A self-driven person assumes that if he or she can succeed in the world's eyes, that they will be happy and fulfilled, they'll feel significant, they'll be loved and accepted by others, and they will have enough money to be able to control their destiny. See, that sound familiar? <laughs> Every one of those assumptions is absolutely false. Absolutely false. But, but each one serves as a trap to which any of us are, are liable to fall into if we're not very careful. I mean, think about it. What, what, what's the testimony that you hear time and time again from those who reach the very top of their profession? Whether that's an athlete or a CEO, they finally arrive at the very top. And so many times you hear the, the question that everyone asks, and one version or another is what? Is this all there is? Is this all there is to it? Is this it? They discover everything they thought it was going to be was just a pipe dream. But Romans 8, 6 also says, if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. You can choose to be self-driven or you can choose to be Holy Spirit-driven. In other words, Christ-driven. One who is Christ-driven in their work lives with, or works with an entirely different set of assumptions. The first big difference is that their overarching goal is not to be successful. Their overarching goal is to make sure that God is glorified. Success for them is, is not something that happens when you reach the top or when you have a lot of money, but success happens when you bring glory to God. A huge, huge difference. A Christ-driven person finds significance 
not in worldly success, but in your identity, which is found only in Jesus Christ. Your identity in Christ is a child of God who has been created, who has been created in His image and who is unconditionally loved by Him. Friends, never, never confuse your work with your worth. Never confuse your work with your worth. You know, so many people grow up being told or taught one way or the other that, you know, you're just not going to be worth anything until you prove it otherwise. It may, it may be a, a parent that kept telling you that. It may have been some other significant person in your life. But you're just not going to be worth anything until you can prove otherwise. And so what do you do? You set out for the rest of your life. Well, I'll show them. I'll prove to them. Well, the problem with that is that regardless of what you do and how much you accomplish, you will always still have in the back of your mind that lingering question. I wonder if I've done enough to show them they were wrong now. I wonder if I've done enough to prove them that they were wrong now. I wonder if I've done enough. Your work has great value, has great purpose, but it was never intended by God to be your primary source of self-worth. See, in God's eyes, you don't have to be a great success in the eyes of the world to be a success in His eyes. Your net worth never determines your self-worth. Your self-worth is based only on your identity in Christ. Well, so in light of that, what should be our goals as Christ-driven people? God's Word is our guide here. And as we've already said, the overarching goal is to glorify God. So how do we do that? What are some things that we can practically do in order to bring God glory? Well, just a couple of verses that we're going to look at as we start to head toward wrapping this up. Second Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 reads this. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Three things that we can learn from that verse about how we can glorify God. That first part, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, means that we work to please God first. We don't work to please our boss first. We work to please the boss of our life first. So we ask the question, is the Lord well pleased with what you're doing and how you're doing it? It, it, it calls upon us to, to be a, a person who invites Christ into our work day in and day out. Invite him to be a part of the meeting that you're about to step into. Invite him to be a part of the lunch you're about to step into. Invite him to be a part of that project team. Is the Lord well pleased? Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23 says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Second part of that verse from Timothy says, Be a workman who does not need to be ashamed. In other words, work hard. Ask the question, is my work well done? Is it well done? Don't let it ever be said of you that you are a lazy person. Work hard. Work hard. Then be, as a Christ follower, that, that, that last phrase of, of the 2 Timothy verse, one who correctly handles the word 
of truth. Is the word well used would be the question here. In other words, are you doing your work according to the truths and principles in the word of God? Are you letting God's word guide your attitude? Are you letting God's word guide your decisions? Are you seeking him for wisdom from his word each and every day? Are you letting God's word be the guide to your relationships that you develop and you carry on each and every day? There's so many places we could look in Scripture that provide us help in, in this particular area of, of what our goals should be. But let me just focus on one more. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 27 says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Don't withhold good. At work, in all of life, be a, a give first kind of person. Be a give first, be, be a serve first kind of person. Take a look at this picture. Would you, would you do that? Yeah. You can't see the caption that's under that, but anybody want to guess what it is? It's not my job. <laughs> I thought it was funny. (laughs) But isn't that such a typical attitude in the workplace? It's not my job. It doesn't have to be that way. As a give first person, you can lead the way in the office. You can lead the way in your workplace. The late, great Dr. Howard Hendricks used to say, God is looking for full-service Christians in a self-serving world. God is never impressed with our status, but he's always impressed with our service. Now, to be a give first person, to be a serve first person, you have to make it a conscious daily decision. You have to daily decide you're going to be a people builder and and not a people user. It's so easy to, to end up using people instead of building people regardless of what kind of work you're in. You have a goal you want to accomplish, and so you, you, you instead of serving people first, you, you begin to start to, you stop, back, you stop to look at it, you begin to really use, use people instead. Be a people builder and, and not a people user. And too many people are simply marking time at work. But God's call in our lives is to not just mark time. It's to mark lives. It's to mark lives. You do that by being a people first, a serve first, a give first person. Psalm 90 and verse 17. It's a wonderful verse. The psalmist declares, let the lo-, this is from the, the message paraphrase, let the loveliness of our Lord our God rest on us. Confirming the work that we do. Oh, yes, affirm the work that we do. Isn't that a beautiful verse? That's my prayer for you as you return to work this week. That the loveliness of our Lord, the loveliness of God, might rest upon you as you work. And that as you work, you might know and sense many times throughout the day the affirmation 
of His Holy Spirit in your life. Let's pray together.